0: Tonight's reading is Isaiah chapter 55, and that can be found on page 743 in the Blue Church Bibles. Isaiah chapter 55, starting at verse 1, page 743. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendour. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. I'm sorry, ma'am, but everything on the menu has fish in it. Mm, What about
1: the bread? Does that have much fish in it? Yes. Oh, I have some Tic Tacs in my purse.
0: Excellent choice. And for the gentleman? All you can eat. All you can eat. (laughs) All
1: right, when you're ready, take this plate over... Please, don't take the steam tray, sir.
0: (coughs) That man ate all our shrimp. And two plastic lobsters. Tis no man. Tis a remorseless eating machine. Arr. Six bells, time for closing. Can't talk, eating. Fairly warned be thee, says I. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but the sign said all you can eat. Happy New Year. Uh, Nothing like a bit of 90s Simpsons. Uh, There is a reason for me showing that clip to you, you might wonder. Uh, (laughs) As funny as it is. uh, The restaurant, the Frying Dutchman, makes the offer to come and have all you can eat, but it cannot deliver. Uh, The staff perhaps didn't account for Homer Simpson's voracious appetites, And yet still, the restaurant runs out of food, and Homer is still hungry. Well, in tonight's passage, God makes an offer to come and drink, to come and eat. But unlike the frying Dutchman, the Lord does deliver, and he gives eternal satisfaction. As we begin our time together, please do keep Isaiah 55 Open. It would be a tremendous help if you do that. Let's pray that God will give us understanding and purpose as we look at it together. Let me pray for us. Father, we do indeed thank you for your life-changing word. And we pray that you would speak to each one of us this evening, into our minds, into our hearts. Transform us, we pray. Shape us, mould us. Fashion us into the likeness of your dear son, that we might be like him, and that we might live rightly for you. Amen. Amen. Now, this evening's uh, theme is calling, and biblically speaking, that can be quite a broad term. Uh, Here in Isaiah 55, the the, the use seems to be with regards to salvation. Now, from the previous two chapters, uh, that's Isaiah 53 and 54, we see how the sacrificial work of the servant of the Lord establishes the future glory for God's people. As we come to this chapter, in chapter 55, we see that the servant's work has global consequences, global implications, the future glory extends to the nations. And this comes by way of a gracious invitation. And we're going to look at this invitation now. Uh, I've got two headings for us this evening, and the first is this. We have God's gracious invitation to come and feast God's gracious invitation to come and feast look with me from verse 1 come all you who are thirsty come to the waters and you who have no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without cost you see here the Lord graciously invites us to a, all you can eat Now, of course, this is not an actual feast. You know, like a frying Dutchman, but a frying Dutchman in the sky. Here we have a physical metaphor of feasting on food and drink that illustrates God's life-giving word as his free and gracious gift to all mankind. And this most excellent word gives both spiritual satisfaction and salvation. And the imagery here is very vivid. He invites the thirsty to come and drink. Now this underscores the the life-saving nature of this invitation. Uh, We might take for granted drinking water when it's so readily available from the kitchen tap. But for many, however, many around the world, thirst is an all-too-real thing and a life-threatening experience. Uh, But God's promise goes beyond the physical need for H2O. He offers us living water. Water that will truly quench the first. God's word offers life that goes beyond death. Now the invitation to buy and eat, even to the one without money, it, it seems like a bit of an odd thing to say. How can one... Uh, without money buy. but on the other hand, nothing can be had without payment. And I think it likely speaks of one's inability and helplessness. The cost is too high to eat God's food for people are spiritually destitute. Uh, but we need not worry. By God's grace, the Lord's servant, through his saving work, has paid the price. The purchase price. And this is revealed to us in the wonderful yet harrowing chapter of Isaiah 53. And so this feast is not like a restaurant where you pay the astronomical bill at the end of the meal, it's more like a wedding. The bridegroom has paid the cost, you are allowed to come and eat. God's gracious word is a gift, and what it, what it offers to us is free of charge. And we've shown just how lavish this, this fair is, as God invites all to drink milk and wine. And this sort of emphasises the sort of richness of this provision. Uh, bread and water are bare necessities. But wine and milk are luxury in plentiful supply. This truly will be a feast where you can have all you can eat. The Lord's word will truly satisfy the mind, heart and soul. Now this invitation is presented to us as promises. And as we might expect, Jesus fulfills them. Uh, He likely had this passage in mind when he cried out in John 7, verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In John 6, verse 45, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. A bit further on in that same chapter, verse 51, Jesus says... I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And of course, on top of that, if we remember, Jesus performs that remarkable miracle of turning gallons of water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And this is a clear sign that Jesus offers joy and satisfaction in plentiful supply. So it is in Jesus this invitation is received. He is who we feed on. He is who we feed on. We feed on his word. His word is life-saving, free of charge, and spiritually satisfying. And our response is to come and eat. And the Lord says we do that by listening to his word. Uh, the first word of verse 1 can be just translated as oh or ho. So uh, it's a, a kind of a call or interjection to attract attention. So think uh, Father Christmas, ho, ho, ho. Or sort of maybe just about sitting in the seasonal, uh, seasonal period. Or perhaps uh, um, we don't have them really anymore, but town criers who would say hear ye, hear ye. Here the prophet is grabbing our attention. And and further on in verse 2, the Lord twice calls people to listen. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. Uh, And I expect this is a reply to God questioning why people would use their money on that which doesn't satisfy. And I think it's a slight at the, the madness of trusting false idols that seem to offer much but deliver very little. Now, of course, it's not wrong to buy that that we need, and actually that, that brings joy as well. But the earthly will never truly satisfy. Only in the Lord Jesus is the riches of fair to be found. Only feasting on his word brings eternal Satisfaction. As verse 3 says, people should give ear and come to the Lord, listen, that ye may live. Uh, This certainly strikes of a chord of urgency and necessity. If, If acceptance of God's word is eternal life, then refusal of that word, well, it must be The opposite, it must be eternal death. So now is the time to call upon the Lord. And verse 6 reinforces this: seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. See, now is the time to give ear and come to Christ. Now is the time to accept God's gracious invitation. Now is the time to feast. Now is the time to be saved. When this scripture was written, Isaiah was prophesying to the kingdom of of Judah. Uh, So this call was a much needed invitation for those who had fallen away or were led astray by false worship and idolatry. Uh, And Isaiah speaks plainly uh, to the tight grip Uh, these idols had on the Jews. But there was a faithful remnant among them who would have received this good news of eternal satisfaction with glad and thankful hearts. God's gracious invitation, however, seems to extend even beyond the Jews and this faithful remnant. His life-giving word it's also for the nations. Indeed, God would use the Jews to bring this invitation to them. Uh, let me read from verse 3. Uh, Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you and my faithful love promise to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. See, to those who who listen to the Lord, he promises to establish an eternal covenant with them. The same faithful love he showed to King David, he will also show to them. And just as David was a witness of the Lord to all peoples, God's people will be a witness to the nation. And this covenant is inaugurated through the death and resurrection of the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And a little bit later we will be remembering that new covenant this evening as we take communion together. Jesus calls his people to invite the world to feast on him. And so this invitation is for you and for me. We must listen and come to him. For the person who has not put their trust in Jesus here, perhaps that's you. Listen and accept the Lord's gracious invitation. Come and feed on his word. Listen to what he has to say. Because here you will know Christ and all that he offers through his life saving work. Nothing else can give you that eternal satisfaction. Even the believer needs to hear this, especially for those of us who perhaps have allowed idols to take root in our lives. We don't want to be like the idolaters, which the Bible depicts as those who are like drinking from dry cracked cisterns and feeding on ashes. That is madness. Don't buy and labour for what doesn't satisfy. Listen to the Lord and eat what is good. Delight in the riches of fair. Delight in his eternal life-giving word. And let us remember that we can come to the Lord in confidence. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10 verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as for those of us who have accepted this invitation to come and are feasting on the Lord now, let us give thanks that in his wonderful grace, And mercy, he has called us to him. And even more, he has bestowed upon us splendor that we might draw people to him. Let us give thanks for that. Now, what seems to follow from the remainder of of the chapter is sort of God's preemptive argument against the inevitable doubts of his people as they hear of this invitation. Uh, This takes us to our second point, which is this. We have God's gracious invitation will not return empty. God's gracious invitation will not return empty. Uh, Let's read from verse 7. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon Now, I think at this point, it's good for us to kind of try and get ourselves into the shoes of the Old Testament Jews. They were God's chosen people who were meant to be holy, set apart, morally so, distinctive from the surrounding nations. But as we said, many of them sort of fell to idolatry. They were corrupted by that foreign influence. And yet that remnant remained faithful. Uh, Certainly to these Jews, they knew that the nations were, it was synonymous with the nations of of wickedness. And of course, they were right. The nations were crooked. They performed vile and decadent practices. They worshiped false gods like the Baals and the Ashtaroths. They loved violence, greed, depravity, and injustice. So it wouldn't be at all surprising if God's people were doubtful that the nations should or could. Be invited to come and feast. Now, perhaps there's room for one or two, you know, like a a Rahab or a Ruth. You know, they weren't Israelites, but they showed their faithfulness. But most of the nations, they were full of ungodliness and did great harm to Israel. Surely they're just too far gone. But God says to his people, let them come. Let the nations forsake their wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts. Let them turn to me for forgiveness. And as a gracious and merciful God, I will pardon them. Perhaps the Jews were thinking, what can we say to these intimidating people? They're just going to reject what, what, what what we say and what they hear they shove it back in our face perhaps even violently now what perhaps what seems to undergird this doubt is a lack of trust in the lord and his word and so god gives them a theology lesson to remind them of who he really is verse 8 and 9 for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the lord as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways And my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, One commentator puts it like this with these verses Uh, God doesn't think the way we do. We get into a lot of trouble when we expect that He should think as we do. Because we are made in the image of God, we can relate to God's thoughts, but we cannot master them. God doesn't act the way we do, He does things His way, and His ways are often not our ways. We get into a lot of trouble when we expect that God should act the way we do. How far is the distance between God's thoughts and ours? How far is the distance between his ways and ours? The distance is as great as the heavens are higher than the earth. And just because the Jews acted a certain way, it didn't mean God thought or did the same. And I think it's important that we understand that for ourselves too. We might think we're not very impressive or courageous to tell people about Jesus. We might think that some people will never change. You know, their hearts are just too hard, too rotten. Perhaps even to our shame, we have momentarily thought that some people shouldn't be invited to come and feast. Well, these are not the thoughts and ways of God. He is so very other from us. And yet, he knows he can use us. He knows he can transform people's lives. And it is his powerful word that accomplishes this. We should not stop people from forsaking their ways and turning to the Lord. We should invite them to him and bring them to him. And we've just sung, Behold the power of his word. I will trust his promise. If we truly believe the, tr- the truths of that song, we must trust that God can do what he wills. The Lord promises that his word will not return empty. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. Uh, It seems like a bit of a fitting illustration with all the rain we had last week. I don't know if anyone else got soaked Thursday evening. I certainly did on my way to the prayer meeting. Um, I think the shoes I'm wearing now are still trying to dry off. This picture of rain and snow is is sort of taking us back to a a kind of a geography class. Uh, Verse 10 is the water cycle, basically. The Lord illustrates the essential principle that He is the Word, that His Word, sorry, will not return empty rain and snow fall from the sky and don't return before serving their purpose on on the earth. They water the earth, making it bud and flourish. Uh, The rain and snow eventually do return, but not before accomplishing what it set out to do. And the Lord says the same is true for his word. And if verse 10 is the water cycle, verse 11 is the word cycle. When God sends his word down from heaven, it does not return to him empty. It always fulfills his will. That, that means that God is not just talk. When he speaks, his word accomplish, accomplishes uh, his intended purpose. See, the word of the Lord has power. And it never fails. It does not return empty. This is what Charles Spurgeon says on these verses. It is an irreversible word. Man has to eat his words sometimes and unsay his say. He would perform his engagement, but he cannot. It's not that he is unfaithful, but that he is unable Now this is never so with God. His word never returns to him void. Go find ye the snowflakes winging their way like white doves back to heaven. Go find the drops of rain rising upward like diamonds flung up from the hand of a mighty man to find a lodging place in the cloud from which they fell. Until the snow and the rain return to heaven and mock the ground which they promised to bless. The word of God shall never return to him void. See, when we grasp this truth about God's word, we can have great confidence it will never fail its purpose. So we don't need to fear that quick word we have with the taxi driver or with the parent at the school gate or the colleague at work. Or the friends you've invited round for a cuppa. We offer God's gracious invitation. Knowing it won't return empty. Even the hardest of hearts and the most depraved of minds. Can be transformed. And when people turn to him. And listen to him. And his word does his work. Joy and peace are always the result. Joy and peace in this life and in the life to come. The future blessings of verse 12 and 13 could not be any more assured. Let me read them. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper And instead of briars and the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Uh, I find these uh, verses rather nostalgic, as I used to sing them in my primary school assemblies. I don't know if anyone else else did. But they are are, are wonderful verses that speak of God's transformative plan at finding its fulfilment. We see joy and peace as people accept Christ and feed on Him. But we look forward when we truly see that transforming power as the Lord makes all things new. The thornbush and the briar will be turned into trees of beauty and usefulness. No longer will there be any curse. That the result will cause creation to rejoice and praise the Lord. As C.S. Lewis says, the silent world will become the singing world. And this transforming power will be an eternal sign that the Lord is good. He deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. So come to the Lord accept his gracious invitation to come and feast, come and have all you can eat, and know that the Lord's word does not return empty, and look forward to that day when the Lord will take us to that new creation where we will be eternally watered and fed. As we close, let me read some words from Jesus in Revelation 21 and 22. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Come, And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Amen. Amen. Well, in response to what we've heard, we're going to sing again. Hear the call of the kingdom. Let us go out and proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. When the bad band are ready, let's stand and sing.